All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel, sitting down today with uh, my good buddy Mark Roanhorst, back in town for a few days, huh? Yeah, yeah, I got finished up a, a bear hunt early uh, on the second day of hunting, so gave me like, actually gave me like nine extra days at home, which was really nice this time of year. But yeah, you've had a pretty big, pretty well, pretty busy year Um you started off uh, sheep during, guiding during sheep season, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I subbed out one hunt, um, just guided one sheep hunt um, for a guy that I hadn't worked for before um, on the opener. So uh, it was a good hunt. It was a fun hunt, hunting a new area and with some new guys. And um, it was long. We struggled to find a legal ram. Um, so my client we didn't end up killing a ram but we looked over a bunch of sheep and and just weren't able to make anything legal like yeah thinking back to i think just the second day of the hunt we we looked at one one ram in a group of 11 that he wasn't full curl or anything he wasn't broomed but he may have been age legal Mm -hmm. just never got a good enough look at them to to age them it seems like it seems like that's super frustrating when you see you do get a band of like eight nine ten eleven rams you're like there's got to be a legal one in there yeah (laughs) you know yeah no kidding and it was so early on a you know 10 day hunt that it was like well let's go see what else is over the next hill yeah um to shoot something that's kind of marginal on age you know it's just not ideal um, but anyways, uh, ended up when we w- did try to get close to them and age them up, we, we spooked them, um, made a mistake, wind swirled, we spooked them and they split the country, but we had like seven days left to hunt at that yeah. point and weren't real concerned about it, but turned out we didn't, we couldn't turn up anything else that was really close after that, um, covered a ton of country and it was it was rough weather <laughs> on the yeah. opener this year as you know and and most of ended up the being Alaska range for sure i don't in, i don't know what it was up north but yeah i think it cuz i was i was texting with which got to catch up with Steve Hollenbeck too but i was i was texting on the dorm with him while we were both he was guiding up in the brooks mm-hmm. And I want to say over the opener, he was getting snow, which I got a little bit of snow, like on the 8th, you know, nothing, nothing crazy, but mm-hmm. some pretty good termination dust that took a couple of days to melt off. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And it was, it was just wet and windy and turned out, was, was there some sort of like major system off the coast that was affecting there? I feel like I heard about some some i don't know hurricane activity or something oh yeah i a gulf or something that i don't know that's very possible though i just anyways it was it was incredibly wet and windy uh throughout the alaska range so yeah i was leading up to sheep season i thought i thought it was well i don't know it's all when it's dry you're concerned about water but i was i was thinking it was going to be like bluebird sheep season i mean that whole last half of july or however it was it was like three weeks or four weeks that it didn't hardly rain at all uh-huh. you know just beautiful weather and then even when i went down there scout down to toke scouting it was just gorgeous got sunburnt and then come back and wasn't quite the same <laughs> yeah yeah for sure 
Yeah, it was rough. So, and that was part of the trouble with with trying to judge any sheep as legal was the wind was just so brutal everywhere all the time that it was like it seemed to be 15 to 20 and then we were having gusts you know 60 to 80 mile an hour at times if you're in the wrong spot crest and saddles and things like that so it was i mean trying to steady a spotting scope was pretty yeah that's and i don't know about you for me that's like one of the most frustrating things uh uh, you got even between it's between that and if you get the wrong conditions and you get really bad mirage Uh um but the wind where you're sitting there and you know whether it's a mile away you know plenty you know you're in range to be able to really tell what a sheep's doing you're waiting for him to give you good look it's like every time they turn their head right or something, the wind kicks up and your scope just... Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can have a super heavy tripod and you can weigh it down and you can have the best glass in the world, but... You, Any you, little... Vi- you just can't. that vibration, yeah. you, you can't get it out of it. Vibration, fog, heat waves, don't matter. Yeah, the worst heat waves was, it was when we were looking at what ended. I ended up killing this ram a few days later but it was in september and it was the it was in the evening and the sun was out but it was pretty cold so i don't know something to do with that sun warming the rocks or whatever we were like 500 yards from these sheep and i couldn't even come close to telling if he was legal because the mirage you just couldn't see anything it was so frustrating yeah. and we ended up spooking him that <laughs> night and having to take three more days to three or four more days to get back on him sure but yeah that wind i always have to i need to come up with a solution whether it's just taping them and i don't do it but my load lifter straps on my backpack i don't know how oh. many times i've been slapped in the eye and start <laughs> cussing you know, hiking along a ridgeline or something, then that stri- that strap just <laughs> yeah flaps and, and whacks you right in the eye. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's almost like once you know how long you need them, just cut the excess off and tape them or something. Um, that or, or if, I I usually try to like I'll, I'll pull them tight and then tuck the tails underneath my shoulder uh, straps or whatever, which yeah. that may be just kind of the lazy way of doing it, but ugh. No, I end up every that trip day. that happens to me. It's the most, you're trying to stand there and you're just getting swatted in the face from every direction. It feels like, uh huh. Yeah, I end up doing that too. Um, or if you've got like all those packs have a lot of extra extra webbing. It seems like mm-hmm. that, um, if you've got it packed small, just day pack type stuff, you've got all kinds of straps everywhere. <laughs> you <Yeah>. gotta <laughs> you gotta tuck them away, or you're gonna be getting whipped. Well, and they all, you know. If I was a little bit more organized person and just took the time, you know, like this, because I got that Kafaru muskeg this year and they, you know, ship all the stuff with the little bungee things to, you can roll the straps up nice oh, and neat. Yeah, and it's like, I don't, but to do that, I'm not going to deal with that. You, yeah. You load and unload your pack and stuff. It's like, I hate dealing with those. So yeah, just it's like, it could be, them. could be super nice and neat, but I ended up. Same thing, just taking them all off. Yeah, just tuck them in. <laughs> tuck them. For sure. But yeah, so you guys are kind of, it was a struggle anyway, huh? Yeah, so that, that hunt was, it was a tough one. It was, we backpacked all over 
tarnation covered a lot of ground and it's one thing to cover a lot of ground um but then to you know struggle to make a lot of rams legal and and uh and then the weather on top of that um just made it tough because we were it seemed like after like four or five days we're like okay tomorrow we're just gonna have a rest day we'll just cross from camp and rest but then something would happen that next morning we'd be like oh we got to go check out yeah (laughs) over this next ridge or something like that so we ended up covering ground every day ended up never resting and and it's windy and wet almost every day so every day you're going out getting wet it's hard to keep gear dry oh yeah well you and you know you end up packing up wet gear in your backpack Uh and then yeah yeah it's like you can unless if you can't get it it's not too bad if you can get a day or or even just a day or an afternoon where it's sunny Uh just get everything scattered out and dry it out but yeah i know exactly what you mean (laughs) yeah and then i was i was kind of chasing the the lightweight gear rabbit or whatever (laughs) and uh traded in at hilleberg tents for trying to you know save like two pounds and went with a new lightweight tent yeah ended up uh having it tear at the seams because it was because of the wind and what tent was it if you don't it was uh i'm not like i don't want to bash them or anything at any i'm i know better than yeah no you you know lightweight materials are just not going to be as durable but i tried to hide from the wind and i think it probably saw 60 mile an hour gusts maybe where we were at um but it was a it's big sky international Hmm. not you know not real well known in the hunting industry or anything like that but but kind of an ultra light tent yeah and and i was really impressed with the pole design it was actually like a three pole design Mm -hmm. so it seemed like it would handle snow load really well be a good like all season type setup um and the pole design was excellent it was flawless it was just that the connection points and the scenes weren't burly enough and probably the material wasn't burly enough. And that's, I mean, that's why it's the lightest two person, four season, three pole design tent that I could find. Yeah. But you're giving up something when you go to that late. late yeah. And I wind, think. wind is a kicker too. Cause you know, they, I don't know, like my, I've been using that MSR two man, the hubba hubba, the two man uh-huh. for several years now and i love that tent but i have to be prepared it doesn't handle really high wind like that super well oh yeah yeah i i've i have still been taking it and uh have just kind of figured out ways to a you know pick it as good a spot as i can to camp and to kind of counteract what's going on like it's when my buddy frank and i've been out two times it's folded over um, taking, you know, a direct, uh, like blowing 50, 60, whatever, right on the, onto the end of it, the, the poles that come down and support from the bottom of the tent and go up to one pole, there's kind of a ring that is a joint for all those. And if the wind can push that, the, uh, you know, it's flexed out. If it can push it in, it'll fold it down and fold your tent flat. Oh yeah. But, uh, both times we ended up what we've done is it'll just collapse a trekking pole and jam it in and use the, the top end of that trekking pole to support that ring where those three poles come together and pull it out and just stake that trekking pole out. Oh, and then sure. after that, it's, it's, 
impervious from the wind in that direction. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then this year I did it after I shot my sheep. Um, I just set up my tent in the saddle, like 50 yards away from where I killed him. The next day, the next morning it was howling pretty good blowing up, up, out of, up through the saddle. Uh And so, uh, it was kind of hitting the tent from the side and that vestibule, you know, that tent has one bar that kind of holds the top of the tent up. And so it's bending pretty good. It didn't fold over on me, but I, I ended up taking my trekking pole and putting it up under that, under that end of the pole. Nice. And it seemed to work fine. But yeah, like you said, it's always seems like it's going to be a trade off. Yeah. Yeah, so I was kind of lamenting not bringing a Hilleberg that time. Um, but we were getting one day. I think we were we decided to stay in because a storm blew in during the night, and so we it was super windy in the morning. So I didn't trust leaving the tent. Actually, yeah. So we stayed for a few hours until it lightened up a little bit, and then we went out. But we stayed and just sat in the tent and getting whipped, whipped yeah. in the face it was just like bouncing bouncing off us so so it goes i guess um but anyways yeah so towards the end of that hunt we eventually the weather just would not break so we uh let's see we were out at one of the more remote strips um, airstrips where we we were based out of so we got back there and we're gonna hunker down there till we could get picked up mm-hmm. um, um but then the outfitter messaged me and said uh he didn't with this weather he didn't know if he could get into that one just because it was higher elevation a yeah but tougher place to land so so he said wanted us to hike over to uh, <clears throat> where he was at and um, so we did that and that day, that day too, it was just terrible weather. And we, uh, we had to cover, I don't know, whatever it was, 12 miles or so and got back there. And then the next day we were trying to shuttle out. And so he, he had, it was me and the outfitter and my client left in this, in that camp. And then in another camp about not real far, like just six or seven miles up the drainage there was a a group of what was there i think maybe three other guys four other guys a couple guides and another hunter or two and uh so he shuttled my guy out that that morning and then he, he i saw him come back over me and um he was heading up to that other camp and he was gonna shuttle he was either gonna grab them and grab the next guy and, and take him straight all the way out um, to where they're going to get chartered on a, on a bigger airstrip. And of course, if, if you're for the listener, if you're not familiar with this concept of shuttling with these super cubs, yeah. you can only, you know, one extra guy and some gear. So right. you can't get everything you've got and all the people in one trip. So yeah, it's a calculation of, who and what do a, does the pilot take at which time to get everybody out in the most efficient manner possible? Right, right. So they're basically shuttling out of tougher to access, you know, competitive, you know, super cub strips to mm-hmm. to out of the mountains where a, a bigger charter could come get them. <clears throat> um, so, anyways, he was he shuttled out. 
my guy went to that other camp and, and I thought he was going to shuttle all of them while the weather was good down to the camp I was, even though it was only like six or seven miles, it was just a little lower elevation, a little less wind and generally more predictable wind direction and mm -hmm. things like that. So, so I was kind of packing up that, that base camp area and, um, I saw him fly over my head and head to that camp and I never, I didn't think much of it, um, until like, it was like 45 minutes or an hour later and I knew he was going to be just on the ground for a little while. Yeah. And so he, when I didn't see him come back overhead or, you know, bring anybody to me for about an hour, I was like, huh, that seems strange. I wonder if anything happened. So I messaged one of the other guides with the inreach, I messaged another guide from that camp and said, everything okay? It's been a while. I haven't seen him come overhead. And and he said, he replied and basically said, uh, no, he crashed on takeoff um, with the hunter and uh, everybody's okay. We'll send a charter to get you. And that's about all the info. Oh, man. <laughs> that's all the info I got. And so I was like, okay, they're, everybody's fine, which is great. But it, he did say the plane was totaled. So I was like, hmm. And that's a, a definitely a big bummer. Oh yeah. Um, but since everybody was okay, I didn't ex I didn't really know what to expect and didn't know if you were going to be sitting there for a few more days. Or yeah, yeah. So you never know. But he said they're going to send a charter. So I was mm -hmm. like, all right, I'll keep packing up this camp, get everything uh, ready to go, and get it packed up by the airstrip so that they can come get it whenever they want. And uh, a couple hours went by and. Uh, not the weather was still kind of crummy, but I thought you know the right the right guy might still fly in it, so I didn't know when um somebody might come get me. So I was just I went out to the airstrip to do uh um to add a little visibility stuff. So I I threw out like some bright colored stuff just in case mm -hmm. somebody came that had never been there before. Yeah, you know. That's kind of like one of the uh, bush bush travel 101 type things. Yeah, because like, a lot of those airstrips, they're just tire tracks and, and gravel bars. Some of them are easy to see, and yeah. especially if you get, like you said, bad weather. Yeah. You know, it can be tough to pick them out if you don't know right where they're at. Yeah, so like guiding 101, I guess, or hunting with cubs or things like that is airstrip maintenance whether you might have to build a strip somewhere mm -hmm. or just make sure that it's visible and accessible to whoever might come get you so i was doing that and i started seeing a plane come overhead and it kept circling me and it was it was flying low and slow but it was massive yeah i was like hmm well, that thing cannot land here. Yeah. <laughs> that for sure. Uh, something goofy is going on. Um, but it kept circling. And then before long, I heard a helicopter and eventually saw, saw a helicopter, uh, come kind of out of the drainage from the direction. So I thought, I don't know, different things were running through my head of, but regardless, I thought, you know, maybe like the EPIRB from the plane went off. Because I didn't think they were going to call search and rescue. Mm -hmm. things. Everybody was fine. I thought they'd just get chartered out. <clears throat> um, but anyways, 
so then I see this helicopter come over and exit the valley, down valley of me, and the, the plane did the same thing, and then before I knew it, they were both coming back um, with a line going out from the plane to the helicopter, <laughs> which I didn't really understand at the time, as, but looking back, it, it makes sense. They were fueling, so doing oh, like a, yeah. a mid-air maneuver, fueling up. But And then they, they split off right over my head. I've got video of it on my video camera, but they split off and the plane kept circling and, and the helicopter went down towards that other camp. And then, um, I didn't really, so I figured, oh, they're picking those two guys up and I didn't expect, um, to get picked up. I was still playing on a charter plane. So I was prepared for that. And then, uh, before I knew it, that the helicopter came around and, you know, it's a big old Black Hawk yeah. helicopter is like a, what did they say? HC 60 or something. Anyways. Um, but they ended up landing, um, by me. A guy came out, uh, one of the guys came out and talked to me and, and you got your client with you too. No, right? oh, he had already he, gone. He'd already flown my client out. So my client was out at some airstrip, yeah. you know, out of the mountains. <laughs> Who knows where, yeah. yeah. By himself. And, um, and so this helicopter lands guy comes out and is talking to me and he says, you can come or you can stay. And I was kind of like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Or, yeah. You know, did the outfitter say, does he want me to go? Am I supposed to stay? It's like, and he's like, he's like, you can't take any gear. Cause we've already got those five guys and their gear and our six man crew. And, uh, y- y- we don't have room for anything else. <clears throat> and I was like, I don't want to leave my gear here. I, yeah. I need it in Southeast, you know, next week. And, uh, he's like, well, you can just grab, you know, super important personal stuff or whatever. And, and I was like, well, I really don't want to leave this stuff. Can you go talk to him and see what he wants me to do? So he goes back, talks to him and, uh, comes back out and he's like, he says to come in. So I was like, all right. <laughs> so I just, all I did, I, I ran back to my stash of stuff and grabbed my rifle and hopped on on the helicopter and so yeah it, it turned out that it was like uh it was an air force pararescue squad that came and got him um and yeah so got a ride in a blackhawk that was a, a new experience yeah <laughs> <laughs> a pretty cool eye-opening experience and and that crew was was super cool um but we were i mean that thing was piled with gear and we were just, I just dove in on top of everything and actually landed on the outfitter. When, no. <laughs> when I do, he's, he's like, open the door, dive in. And so I did. And of course, his legs were all banged up from, oh, like, man, from the yeah. crash and landed right on him. I don't think he appreciated that. <laughs> Boy, well, at least everybody survived. A lot of times it's definitely not the case every, every year. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. Every year. And this year, too, there was, there was some fatal crashes uh yeah some guys i don't know them personally but i know a lot of people that that know those two guys that that piled up down in the alaska range mm-hmm. just a bad bad deal yeah it was uh it was actually looked like within a few hundred yards of where i killed that sheep oh really yeah wow but uh I mean, it's pretty wild yeah it's it's pretty unfortunate but i guess you just got to be be thankful for Mm-hmm. The close calls that don't that don't work out, 
like yeah. that because, you know, just as often they, they do and very easily can. Yeah. But uh, did, uh, I remember you in, I don't know if I asked you how, how getting your gear worked out. Cause I remember we met up when you were back in town, like the day before you had to leave and you didn't have any of your gear back yet. Yeah. As far as you knew, it was still sitting on that airstrip. Yeah. It was, that was frustrating and a little bit nerve wracking. Cause, uh, yeah, the outfitter kept saying, I'm, you know, he was going to have some of the other guides in the area, have his pilots come and get some stuff get our stuff out of there and and then get it sent up to me from anchorage and and <laughs> days kept going by and and nothing was happening and i was like i was getting a little nervous about it and getting ready to replace stuff or i'd talk to you about borrowing mm-hmm. borrowing a little bit just to get by and, and through my first couple goat hunts and and uh so eventually what was it two days well no a day before i was gonna leave then the outfitter said i got your stuff that was at the main camp out um for some reason whoever was supposed to go get this there was a little bit i stashed at the other camp other spike camp before i hiked out and that stuff never made it out but the outfitter got my stuff and he's like i'll i'll uh I'll hop on a flight this afternoon and bring it to you. So he he just jumped on a, a flight. <laughs> I don't know if it was a Raven or Alaska Airlines flight, Fairbanks or Anchorage to Fairbanks, and and hand delivered it, um, which was nice. But it was like yeah, especially yeah, they, considering he just wrecked his plane and probably wasn't feeling too hot. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so I mean, everything had to be cleaned, dried out, taken care of, and. It turned out that my spotting scope was busted. Um, Swarovski? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It was, a, it was a Vortex, and I ended up, I called Vortex, and, and they were actually able to replace it through the local sportsman's warehouse. Oh, nice. So That's convenient. Shout out to Chase, Chase, uh, the manager here at Sportsman's Warehouse. They had, they had one left in stock. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's the, I mean, a lot of people make fun of, you know, like the whole buying, paying for a warranty yeah. thing with, with like Vortex or people that offer those no fault warranties, but boy, it, it sure helped me out on this one that I yeah, mean, the spotting scope I had was five years old and was, and they had updated it since then. And yeah, it was like, no questions asked. Yeah, it's you like, can't. I don't have time for you to ship me one. I leave like literally tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. You know, say what you will. I know those guys do go above and beyond. Yeah, yeah. So that was huge. They, I mean, just no questions asked, and and uh, the manager there at Sports Warehouse helped a, a bunch too, just being willing to make that happen. And it was, you know, the last one that they had in stock. So yeah, that worked I mean, out. Yeah, say you know, say what you will, but I, uh, you know, and I don't know the the rate of having to use the warranty, but I had to send my eyepiece for my Swarovski in, and I didn't even abuse that thing. I just pulled it out of the closet, and there was water in it, mm-hmm. you know, condensation. So that took a couple months <laughs> to yeah. get to get back. You know, it was warrantied, but yeah, yeah it definitely wasn't a, 
wasn't it? Call you know, go to the, your local sporting goods store and pick one up. We'll tell them to hold one for you. Yeah. So that's that's really fortunate because, especially, I mean, goat or sheep hunting, your spot and scope is huge, huge. You're you're wasting your time without it. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that was cool. And then it was off to southeast for uh, goat hunts, and um, so since then I've had uh, four goat hunts and couple of brown bear hunts yeah you well you yeah you're telling me before <laughs> somebody be sick of goat hunting oh yeah you guys had you had like a record year of goat hunts lined up <laughs> yeah yeah i booked a lot more goat hunts than, than bear hunts this year and usually it's um a little more even but we had a lot of goat hunt inquiries this year and less bear hunt bear ones so we ended up just you know booking what we could and it was a lot of goats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah, and you were from what you told me, it sounds like kind of an interesting deal because those areas are like quota areas. Mm-hmm. Where you're saying if the weather's bad as it typically is, you don't ever really have to worry about filling the quotas because a local guy can just wait until you get a good stretch of good weather to go goat hunting. Yeah, it's like they'll you know they'll just go out on the weekend or something, and if it's rainy they'll wait till the next week so yeah but when it's good they'll hunt and a lot of goats get killed and and this year was crazy it was like it was like interior alaska and southeast switched weather yeah. patterns yes yeah. i think september as far as i know i wasn't here but i from what i heard from my wife and from you and stuff it was super wet oh yeah and down was... there it didn't it didn't rain for like five weeks it seems that's crazy unheard of down there almost it was incredible weather it was awesome um but a lot of goats died and so that kind of pinches us with the quotas and stuff and had us a little bit nervous about some of our late season hunts yeah because because you book them and then that's the trouble with the quota hunts is it's Mm -hmm. well you can you know you're taking a chance right of of it not even being open Yep. Or getting a chance to hunt. Yeah, so usually, like, with those clients that we have booked for the late season, we'll say, uh, you know, wait until you come here or even the week before to buy your hunting license and, mm-hmm. and registration tag and everything like that <clears throat> in case, you know, in case things close up and we can't take you, we'll, we'd have to postpone till the next year or whatever. And yeah, I know that makes you, sense. you won't lose that that your your license, your license and, and tag because mm-hmm. it's not like you have to get it ahead of time or be like super timely about getting it yeah. if that makes sense it's not like a a first come first serve only limited number of tag you know there's not a limited number of permits just a limited number of animals mm-hmm. right yep yeah so but nothing's really changed in the last three weeks or so here so i think we're pretty good actually on our some of our late season spots that we like to hit so yeah we should be good i've still got i've got three hunters left and uh it'll be interesting i haven't guided a lot of late season hunts so yeah i'm kind of excited about it late season goat hunting i'm hoping we'll have some weather that you get some heavy snow goats down and uh, it's a little bit different style of hunting and doing some different things to access that country, but then we'll be camping low more often Yeah, and hopefully not having to climb as high and, and just going up like on a daily basis. 
Uh, one thing I was curious about from you, have you done much? I'm going to try out like the floorless teepee type setup with yeah. a, a little titanium, you know, wood stove. Um, I'm going to try that type of setup and it, I'm pretty new to it. I was curious if you've ever done any of that. Um, not a lot outside of like Arctic ovens or wall tents. No, nah, not, not a heck of a lot. I think they can be fantastic in, you know, my deal with the, you know, some of the floorless stuff, I think they're probably a little better suited to late season because mm-hmm. you're not, you, you got less of a chance of, of just torrential rains and water seeping up from everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get like this time of year or, you know, on a typical September or whatever, where you're, where it's getting real cold and you get froze ground, who cares if it snows or whatever, right. you know, you're not going to flood yourself out. Uh-huh. Like that'd be, that's my main like bugaboo with, and I haven't taken, relied solely on a floorless shelter sheep hunt yet. I know a lot of guys do. A lot of guys like those teepees and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I just been, had to camp in so many spots that I would have been, even even this year where I, where I camped for a few days sheep hunting, would have been pretty soaked. You know, yeah. it's it's on the ground and I don't, I have good drainage, but it's like everywhere that was even remotely flat was like a seep. And you just push the ground and it and the water like seeps up. So, yeah. you know, with my that little MSR tin, it's got a really good floor, you know, so I can set it up on there and not have to worry about getting all my stuff soaked through the bottom. But anyway, roundabout way, like I said, I think that could be pretty sweet for a late season type deal. You know, something like a saw like you know, I, I don't have one. Eventually, I'm going to get one of those Kafaru sawtooths. I know mm-hmm. a lot of guys really like those. Yeah. Or the big teepees with the uh, with the little stoves. Right. I know, uh, you know, in moose camp tents before with just those little old army stoves, those tiny little things, you get those things glowing cherry red, and it's like a sauna in there. Sure. And that's, especially for a late season hunt, I think that'd be a big deal being able to have that heat source to dry your stuff out. Yeah. And mentally, like, it just, uh, there's something about, like, having a nice heated space uh-huh. that you can, it's, I don't know, I say relax in, because you can, you know, you, you can say, oh, you get back to your tent and your sleeping bag and relax, and you can, but it's another <laughs> level of, like, your body's not having to fight as hard to stay warm uh-huh. when you've got that heat source, so. <laughs> yeah. For I sure. think that's a, if you can make it work, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely been in camps with wall tents or Arctic ovens and those types of setups, but those are kind of too heavy to be, stay mobile. So, yeah. you know, I want to stay mobile, um, but also have that option to be warm. So I'm, I'm actually borrowing, um, well, I've, I've done floorless a fair bit myself, more on personal hunts than anything else. Um, but not heated. Yeah. Um, I've done it just for the weight savings or minimalist type setups with tarps and such, but um, I've never done the heated option. So I'm, I'm borrowing a stove and a teepee from a friend. So kind of pending how this goes, how it works on these next couple of hunts, I'll probably be trying to contact uh, the guys like Kafaru or something like that and might be looking yeah. for a setup. Because I, I set it up in the yard this past week and 
and we had temperatures drop here, so I've been getting a good chance to try things out, and it's it's pretty sweet. yeah. I speak mean, it speaks quickly, and yeah, you know, it's not going to burn a long time. Those lightweight stoves, but and speaking of that, you know, it it definitely winter did hit pretty quick. It was just a few days ago because we hung our caribou up, and uh, it was actually perfect meat hanging weather. It was Finally. like between thirty two and forty degrees yeah. most of the time. And then just the past couple of days, the bottom kind of dropped out of it. And I mean, we're up in the hills. It's, it was below zero in town today, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had and, the same thing where I had, well, you talked about your 40-mile hunt yeah, uh, with your brother-in-law. But I had another friend that did that hunt, and, and they were pretty full up on meat. So kind of feel bad. I, I hate, being, <laughs> hate being like a charity case. But he, <laughs> they, uh, he was like, if we, if we kill something, do you need some meat i was like yeah i'd take some so anyways they didn't see any bowls that they wanted yeah so they ended up they ended up seeing a calf that seemed to be lost like they figured <clears throat> somebody waxed mama yeah yeah so mama probably was either wounded or something somewhere and uh so they gave that calf like a, a mercy kill, mercy kill. <laughs> so so i got so you got some caribou veal huh? yeah so it's it's, I think it's going to be good eating. Oh, I'm but sure it will be. But I had the same be. thing, so I left it hanging because it was such good weather for it. But then uh, when it snowed, I didn't have it tarped, so I, when it snowed finally one night, I just cut it down, threw it in a cooler, and then and then the temperatures dropped. Yeah. And uh, I had been neglecting it for a few days, and it got super cold. I was a little worried it was going to freeze solid. Yeah. But I finally got to it this morning. <clears throat> before I came over here and it was, it was perfect for cutting. So. Nice. Yeah. That's what, you know, ours were. And I guess I'm just spoiled being used to moose. Cause you know, you let them hang and there's just not much meat on a caribou. Like, and we got big bulls. Yeah. And I killed, I mean, you know? <laughs> that I got the one I got from them was a calf and it's tiny, but I'm kind of excited to try. I haven't done that many roasts, especially bone in roasts yeah. before. So I'm going to try a little bit more of that. I, yeah, I left a lot of bone-in stuff, and I think uh, that one should work no, pretty I, good for that stuff. Oh yeah, I think it's I think it's good. We, uh, you better stop talking about your butcher boy. My butcher boy band, saw. Band oh, I love that because you're gonna have guys knocking on the door wanting to use including it, including myself. And it sucks <laughs> because I want to use because I'm I part of me is like, yeah, bring it over, we'll do. I mean, the the caveat may be that that they have to whoever cuts has to clean it <laughs> you'll just have to write up instructions be like you you got to take care of everything because i don't want to come in and yeah. clean it i can install one of those slot uh, like a like a quarter machine <laughs> that it'll turn on for however long when you put some change in there exactly. five or dollar bills or whatever but no that thing's been awesome i was i was super excited to get those caribou back whole and yeah and we just brought them in the garage scun them saws all them right down the middle or just ripped them right down the spine and just hung them up in halves. And then, you know, I'm no pro butcher, but did them more or less kind of like a beef as far as the spines. And uh-huh. we ended up just deboning the ribs and throwing that in the grind meat. But uh, got some cute little, cute little mini T-bones out oh, of it. <laughs> That'll be good, though. Yeah, really I did. Good. I think I did one one hind quarter into roasts, but we were short on burgers. So we, we ground a lot of it, but... um. Yeah, the thing's pretty, pretty sweet. It just needs a. I, uh, tempted to try and get a moose during the November, like 
Fairbanks management area bow season yeah. opener. You know, I I doubt I'll be able to. I doubt I'll get out and do it, but I'd still like to get one too. I'm trying to like see what areas stay open late for moose when I get back. And you know, I'm going to be busy through Thanksgiving now. So it's oh yeah, real late, and I don't know <clears throat> that much will be open up here. They in the area like up by. Uh, there's a couple there. Minto. Yeah, there's that that winter hunt. I haven't paid attention. I've never actually gone and killed one on that hunt, so I haven't paid attention to to what's what's going on with it. At one point it was like a first come, first serve limited tag mm-hmm. thing. At one point it was like a tier type hunt, I wanna say, where whoever could lie the most would get <laughs> would get their get tags for it for it. Um Yeah. But yeah, that could be that could be an option. I haven't really even looked into it. I mean, we we've got enough to get by, but when you get the chance, it's nice to get a little extra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But uh, let's say, how did uh, how have those those goat hunts gone so far for you? Uh, pretty good for the most part. We've had a couple of odd things happen, but um, started out with a couple of guys, a couple of brothers um, on the first hunt. <clears throat> doing a double and that went well they both killed one guy it took us took us two days just to get up the mountain but um and then a, a guy killed on the third day the first day full day we had up there killed a nice billy and then um i think it was we they sent up they didn't want to go down the mountain and have to go up another mountain yeah. again so it was like we're staying up here and finishing the hunt or you know, we're not going to go up another mountain. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> so, we're not climbing again type of thing. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, we haven't seen very many other mature billies up here. <clears throat> we could easily just go down and go up another mountain, but they were not going to make a climb again. So yeah. We had, uh, we sent up a packer to come get the that first billy, and he packed that out. <clears throat> we stayed and hunted, and then I think it was like the eighth day, uh, eighth or ninth day getting towards the end of the hunt finally there was uh ended up not ideal but let them kill a nanny because we just weren't seeing other billies and they did not they didn't want to uh go somewhere else well and weren't you saying something that 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 was going to be the last goat of that quota anyway yeah so yeah and it's still not ideal like as far as goat you know populations and stuff um but but it was, yeah, it wasn't going to take anything extra out of the quota. Yeah, which is one one of the things I do like about that south end of Kodiak hunt is there's no nanny shaming there. Like, oh, yeah. Like they, you know, if anything, they encourage you to take some because they're like oh, trying yeah. to figure out how to kill more of them because they've never been able to meet their quota. Yeah. Yeah, a little different there than where we're at in southeast, so... Um, so that went well, and the next hunt, um, guy from Missouri came and killed a nice billy, and then uh, had a guy, uh, guy pistol hunting after that, and he ended up, he was pretty proficient with his pistol, and I was okay with, we were okay with him using it, but ended up not quite making a good shot yeah. on, a, on a billy and wounded one. And that's one of the the hardest things about 
goat hunting there is, you know, it's not, it's not hard to find goats. It's not generally hard to get to where you could shoot a goat or within rifle range Mm -hmm. necessarily. Um, I mean, the terrain dictates a lot, but, but getting one somewhere where they're not going to dive off a cliff yeah is a big deal and uh we ended up getting on this goat and and we were plenty far away from the cliffs if if we made a good clean shot Mm -hmm. that didn't happen um unfortunately so he wounded it 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 was able to get into some cliffs and and got into an area where we could not recover it which is a bummer so yeah it's i know lost a goat there yeah that's i mean that's not that I have a ton of goat hunting experience, but uh, I've killed three of them, and that always seems to be the the most limiting factor is mm-hmm. is can you get to them and can you recover them after you shoot them, right? Type of thing, or or if you can recover them, because there was a lot of goats this last spring we could have shot that we could have recovered, but they would have been a fluffy sack of hamburger, mm-hmm. you know, just when you've got a super steep slope they, where they're going to for sure roll for a thousand feet. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. Bounce down the hill. It's just, you know, better to hold off. But speaking of that, I mean, what it's always interesting to talk about like ideal caliber selections. And I don't know if I have my mind made up about goats because I'm typically not, I'm typically a always shot placement over, overpower mm-hmm. type of guy although i will say that goats goats pack lead like hardly any other big game i've seen i think That's better incredible. than bears yeah i agree i um, agree in my experience i mean they really really will take a lot of lead it's impressive and even you know so naturally that's you know and i'm just like running this through my mind i'm like well that means you probably ought to shoot them with something bigger but even big stuff like my buddy steve the billy i watched him shoot it was a pretty big billy shot it with a 340 weatherby and that thing still at like 300 yards still just you know walk and then he'd get back stand back up and mm-hmm. keep going i mean i killed my biggest one with a 25 out six and that it seems like every almost every time it takes a couple i mean this yeah. nanny i and even like these nannies they're not that big of an animal and I shot, you know, I shot the one this spring with a 300 mag at 300 yards. And that was the only one I've ha- only shot once. Really? <laughs> well, in the first goat I shot, I shot with a 375 Ruger <laughs> with 250 grain barns, you know. Yeah. And I still had to, I had to shoot that one twice. Yeah. I So I don't know what the answer is. Obviously, whatever it is, just, you know, you may be best off just whatever cartridge you shoot well with a good, you know, bullet that's going to hold together and make sure you shoot them good and just understand that they're, you're not going to usually sack them on the spot. Mm-hmm. Right. So of course, killing one, killing one is one thing. I mean, you can kill it with a 223 if you want and it'll die, but it, it comes down to anchoring it yeah you know anchoring goats so i mean we generally try to have guys shooting at least a 30 caliber for the most part with a solid bullet um 
and kind of the bigger the better but they got to be able to shoot it accurately yeah um like i said you can you can kill it but if you're anywhere where they can get to cliffs they will and uh and recovering animals is just it's a big deal especially to clients paying a lot of money to be there oh they, yeah they want to have something to go well and with. you so you want them to we, you want them to not just because goats are kind of fragile their faces are kind of fragile and their you know their horns, horns really, can bust off pretty uh-huh. easy yeah yeah they can bust up real easy so you don't want them falling um if you can at all help it so a lot of times we'll I'll try to have them break them down by, you know, breaking shoulders. That high shoulder shot. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you're losing some meat, but, but uh, you know, they want to have something to go home with. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, if there's any question about it, we'll have them try to break shoulders. Um, and then and then whatever they got to do to finish them off. It's, it's almost similar to hunting the brown bears I mean, yeah it's like w- people always forget in the moment but we always tell them you're automatically following up shooting you don't yeah. you don't wait for me to tell you yeah you put another one in and shoot yeah so with the goats and bears it's like you keep shooting till it you know it, it stopped moving you know knock them down and don't let them get up type of mentality yeah i think this i think the one i shot this spring was uh i did shoot that hit that one through the shoulders or through one maybe it was the offside shoulder i hit because it i thought she wasn't going to roll at all i mean hit hard and kind of just went down on her face for a few seconds and then you know used the last little bit to with her hind legs fling herself up and over backwards down and it was a steep hill like you know magically hung up an alder how to hanging out over nothing and you know luckily we it all worked out but uh yeah <laughs> it could have been a lot worse i mean and thankful for that alder and in the video it, it looks like just a nice you know gradual hillside they're on but you don't realize the camera's looking up at like a 45 degree <laughs> angle oh yeah the video and pictures never tell the tale of goat country really or sheep too it never, nothing ever looks as steep as it does. You tell somebody it was, it was so gnarly, and then you show them the pictures, and they're like, that "Doesn't look like much." <laughs> or even, even the uh, the spot I killed my ram this year, that was some gnarly country. Like, it took me the better, you know. I got bogged down for about half a day, not wanting to spook these sheep that were that I had to go through them, where they were at, to mm. get up up this drainage and up on top so i just took my time really slow but it took me half a day to climb 2000 feet or 1500 yeah like 1500 feet mm-hmm. i mean it was just i i had to pick my way up hands and you know using hands and feet like i'm like this is stupid yeah but uh and that's all and i knew you're by yourself yeah i was by myself and i was like uh there's i figured well i can get up this but i'm gonna have to find another way down yeah or i I didn't know what i was gonna do that's the tough part there's a lot of places you can get up but then the coming back down is yeah i'm just like well we'll just cross our fingers and i ended up finding a, a way easier way down kind of the the whole you know going down into a totally different drainage but um mm. 
yeah, it was even the the pictures. Like I can show. I don't know if I showed you on that picture the sat because one of my pictures you can see the saddle that I shot it up in, and it's up in the stuff that I'm like, like it's like goat country, like the almost the top of the tallest mountain anywhere around yeah, there. I was. I couldn't believe it. I was really surprised when I, I think, I think I messaged you while I was out sheep hunting and kind of just wanted to check in and see how things were going. I was pretty excited. Yeah. To to hear what you're seeing and stuff and it was like it was probably just the 12th or 13th pretty early yeah and you were already done but i think you said how high you were yeah i don't know if i saw on the map on the inreach but i was i could not believe how high you had to go it was like 6400 or 6500 feet what i killed him at. It's the the highest one i've ever and that's where i killed him and i think that the the peak on the one side of that saddle is the tallest one anywhere within several, quite a few miles of there. Yeah. And it's like not quite, it's not 7,000. Well, that's like, I mean, you might get in those elevations sheep hunting in, you know, the central Alaska range where the yeah. peaks are, you know, 11, 12,000 feet, the tallest peaks you might have, you might be sheep hunting at, six or seven thousand yeah, feet but where not you that were often at, though still where yeah. you were at though like it's where it's the tallest peaks in the area that just seems right yeah I mean, well and i it was blowing my mind because I was, I was getting super frustrated the the few days before that because i was hunting up that ridge line the other way up towards i ended up was hunted the heads of three different drainages and i'm like they can't where the you know you I'm seeing ewes up at like six thousand feet. I'm like where the I'm like normally when you see ewes and lambs, it's like all right, well look higher. The, the rams are going to be higher, but I'm like there is nowhere higher. Yeah, to yeah. Look. What's uh what elevation is brush line there? Oh, what was that? It was about two thousand. It's about what it is everywhere else. There wasn't anything special that because normal you know most of the rams I've killed have been between 45 and 5500 feet yeah it seems like that's just the zone that they you know maybe like i would consider 6500 feet like the upper generally the upper limit yeah to where those rams like to be you know whether it's the certain type of terrain and vegetation they've got Mm -hmm. but i mean where i ended up the spot i killed them at was pretty awesome they have plenty of feed up there really on that so that south slope of that mountain the whole north side was just jagged rock yes. and and cliffs yeah. but you know that side of the saddle was it was steep but it was kind of a terraced type of deal huh. like i couldn't believe he didn't even roll down the hill he just ran down and tipped over on a flat spot and i you know it was just kind of terraced right there and i didn't know what was going to happen i was just crossing my fingers that that side of the mountain was going to be better because I had to skyline shoot him when he soon as soon as he stood up. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, so I I've never been up in that country, but I always look at it from the north side. So every it doesn't look like there'd be vegetation up that high. Yeah. It it looks like just like rugged rocky country. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking when I was, you know, getting on top of that ridge until I got over there and was really able to see. I I thought I'd be way above where any sheep would ever hang out. Mm-hmm. Whatever you know, I knew that they'd travel, but yeah, it really kind of surprised me. Yeah, that's interesting. But 
yeah, those goats are the same, you know, that, that nasty country you can find them up in. Mm-hmm. And really where we were, where we were hunting them this spring, you know, hindsight, if it got, you know, there's a lot of times and they say goats are, I know a lot of guys that really like bow hunting them because they are fairly predictable. And sometimes that really nasty country can work in your favor. Mm-hmm. You know, the terrain breaks and whatnot, if you get one pattern. But I had, I was thinking hindsight after a flying in there and flying around and seeing what was going on and then hunting them, it would have taken a little bit of extra effort. You might've had been uncomfortable in camp up on, up on top for a night or two, but it was weird because the, the slopes they'd come out to feed on were all just ridiculously sleep, steep. Mm-hmm. But you get on top of that, there was a bench that was, it was up in the snow, but you could see the trail that they just worked this whole, you know, 40, 50, 60 goats that were on that mountainside, just work back and forth on that bench and then dive over, you know, they'd bed down up there and then they'd dive over down into the draws to, to feed. to feed. Sure. Huh. Nice. Yeah. I, I do think goats are definitely killable with the bow. It's just, again, being able to recover them. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't plan on breaking shoulders out. Oh yeah. You know, you know, <laughs> even a good, a perfect shot with a bow, you know, they're still going to have 30 seconds to a minute, you know, mm-hmm. depending on a lot of factors, but they're going to have some time where they can still go full tilt. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it'd be terribly difficult to get within range, um, but you just have to be, you know, all that much more selective of yeah of where you're taking the situations where yeah, and I I've never guided a a bow hunter. Um, the outfit I work for is a, he's fairly opposed to bow hunting for that reason. He doesn't want a bunch of goats wounded and yeah it off. Um, but I'm personally not opposed to it. I, I'm sure I'll I'll uh book some in sometime um yeah i think yeah. i keep telling myself this but i think i don't know next time i do it i'll i'll probably just take my bow yeah you should know, be i know sheep hunting it's it's going to be stepping out there and i know the realities of of the chances I, i'm putting myself into it it ain't good i know but be. there's only one way to do it and it's not like i really have anything to prove you know yeah People I, do it. I still love shooting them with a rifle, but uh, it would be really, really fulfilling, I think, to to go actually get one with a bow, and you're not gonna. I'm not gonna do it if there's a rifle along. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. But well, anyway, I got a little kids got a doctor's appointment, so better get rolling. But thanks for stopping by, Mark. Good to catch up with you, and uh, and hope you have a good rest of your. Yeah, for good, sure. Good last set of hunts. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully this next month goes good and we'll be able to check in again after that. Yeah. Be hunkering down for the winter after that. So Yeah, sounds good. And uh anybody if you have uh if you have questions or comments, you can uh, email podcast at tundertalkak.com and uh if you can leave a review on iTunes that'd be awesome. All right, thanks for listening.